Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today we're continuing our storytelling series talking about Matterhorn bobsleds. Let's get started. Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 234. And we're super excited because we're continuing our storytelling series where we take a deeper look at some of these attractions so that we can better understand the history and get a better appreciation for the story as we write it. And this one's interesting because, like I mentioned on Monday, this is actually the first ride that we're doing that I've never rode before. Which is an interesting concept for us to try to have this discussion because a lot of times it's how can we better enhance our next ride on it. So I have wrote it as a child, so I really don't remember it too well, but it'll be your first time riding it the next time we go to Disneyland because it was under refurbishment last time we went. So instead of trying to enhance your next ride, we're just trying to maximize your first ride. Which is thrilling because this is something that I know a lot of people love it or hate it because I've heard a lot of different things about it and just that it throws you around. But I am completely enamored by this ride. I'm very excited to get to ride it. And I was super excited to learn about the history. So let's go ahead and lay some of those key facts about it. When did it open? How tall is it? Things like that. I know it's 14 stories tall and it is a one one hundredth scale of the actual Matterhorn Mountain. Which is pretty impressive that they scaled it down like that, that it is actually somewhat true to size, that they didn't just throw up a mountain. I think that's an impressive little detail that the Imagineers threw in there. But it also opened on June 14th, 1959. And so what's interesting about that opening date is that a lot of other things opened at the exact same time as that. So you also had the submarine voyage, which is now turned into Nemo. You also had the monorail open. Was it on that exact date or just within that same time period? I can't confirm that it was the exact date, but it was definitely in that same time period. So I can imagine, I mean, if it was on that date, can you imagine what a madhouse that would be? Just thinking about like opening days today. I mean, they're always pretty crazy. So good for Walt if they did it all at once. And so there's a lot of kind of folky stories around the beginning of Matterhorn. I think that you hear things and you're like, all right, is that really what happened? Or is that just the story that we've been passed down through over over the years? But a lot of the Imagineers, particularly Bob Gurr, is still around to tell the stories of how this came to be. And so I think that's a really interesting perspective on this, too, is that. It's really interesting. So a lot of the early stories of how the Matterhorn started taking shape, I never would have known this in a thousand years. So when they were excavating and building for Disneyland in 1955 and they were getting ready for, you know, all of the construction that needed to take place, they had to put all of the dirt that they were pulling up somewhere. Particularly, there was tons of dirt for Sleeping Beauty's Castle. And they decided 
to put it over in this area that was not being used in between Tomorrowland and Fantasyland. Well, and just like everything else, it comes back to budget. So basically it was a 20 foot pile of dirt that they had and it was just too expensive for them to haul away. So it's funny to think about this now because Disney is so known for like their sight lines and trying to keep everything cohesive and immersive. So it's funny to think that they would just leave a pile of dirt sitting there, but that's literally what they did. They left a pile of dirt in this area. They covered it with some grass and some park benches. And they said, you know what? This is Holiday Hill. And that's just kind of how they left it. And so Holiday Hill over the years got this really weird reputation. It almost turned into like a lover's lane type thing. Which is so weird. Because it was such an empty area of the parks and it was built, you know, they had these benches up there. It was mainly just an area to view Disneyland from an aerial view. Or picnic. Or picnic. And so some not so discreet people would go up there and partake in things that have no place in Disneyland. And Walt didn't like that. So this is when he started to think about, you know, what else could we do with this area? And the first thing that really came to his mind was, well, let's put some snow on this mountain and let's, you know, toboggan down or sled down it. And of course, you know, you start to get pushback like, well, snow's not really going to work here, Walt. It's 70 degrees and sunny all the time. So they shot that down pretty quick, but that's kind of where his mind was already going. Like he had an idea So it was just, how can we make this work now? To be a fly on the wall when Walt pitched that, particularly to Roy, who was the sensible one and (laughs) made the money work. I would pay anything to hear that conversation, to see the look on people's faces when Walt was saying like, yeah, we're going to do a. Like a sledding hill. Sledding hill. Like (laughs) it's going to be just like the mountains and skiing. It was just crazy that he even thought about that. Oh, yeah. It's a wild thought. But it did lay the groundwork for what was to eventually become. So it went through a a couple of different iterations for what they could do. They did think about just doing an actual bobsled track like you'd see in the Olympics with the banks on the sides. A family would get at it and gravity would pull them down. And they just never could get anything put in place for exactly what they wanted to happen there. Until Walt took a very special trip. Yeah. So he actually went to Switzerland because they were making a movie. And I wrote down the name of the movie. It was three. Oh, God. Three. The third man on the mountain. (laughs) Goodness gracious. (laughs) So he was filming the third man on the mountain and he was in Switzerland. And while he was there, they were filming at the Matterhorn. So the actual mountain. And he became just fascinated by it. So as the story goes, he went into a little gift store. He found a postcard with the Matterhorn on it. And he wrote on the back of it, build this. He sent it back to his Imagineers. And that's how the idea got started. Which was wed at the time. Um, And so, yeah, they got started. And we talk a lot about trying to give... Um, credit to a lot of these Imagineers who worked on it. We already mentioned Bob Gurr, who probably is the most 
synonymous name with the Matterhorn, but other people who worked on it, Harriet Burns worked on it. Her artistic ability alone is just fascinating. And you can see a lot of her subtle prints on here of, of making this look how it was supposed to be. And then Vic Green and Fred Yeager worked on this as well. But Bob Gurr, if you know much about him, he is the vehicle expert. And that is besides the stature of the Matterhorn, the vehicles and the track are the two most notable things here that he was able to pull off. Yeah, he once said, you know, whenever you look at vehicles in Disneyland, like he designed them all. You know, if you're if you're looking at a vehicle, I designed it, which is a pretty cool thing to be able to say. Like we have these posters of these vehicles and it would be interesting to research all of them and actually pinpoint, you know, out of, I don't know, 100 vehicles that are up there. How many did he design just to kind of test it out? So that is definitely what he's well known for. But when you think about this actual ride, so once they decided that they were going to do this Matterhorn and they were going to build this mountain, they had to start thinking about how this ride was actually going to work. So at this time, wooden roller coasters were the big thing. Um, And that was just kind of the standard. But of course, Walt wanted to do something different. And at this time, the, um, the Crazy Mouse roller coasters had started to become really popular. And if you're not familiar with the Crazy Mouse roller coaster, Brendan, what is your favorite Crazy Mouse roller coaster? Primeval Whirl. Exactly. So if you I don't, thought you were going to make me say Goofy Sky School. Well, I was hoping for either one of those. I'll take whatever you want to throw out there. It's your favorite, you know, after all. Primeval Whirl. So that's what you can expect when you think about a crazy mouse, but they wanted it to feel more like you were actually, you know, going down that bobsled. They wanted sharper turns. They wanted it to be smoother, which, which is funny, which is funny. Although I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I don't want any bad bias here. So they wanted it to be smoother. So they came up with this new track of having like the tube, like the metal tubes that it goes on. So the actual bobsled fills in all the way around it. I know that's not a very good description. I mean, can you think of a better way to describe that? I mean, it's just a tubular steel pipe. Yes. And it latches onto it. And it was state of the art at the time. This was the very first one. This was the very first roller coaster that Disney had ever done. So this was kind of their big e-ticket attraction. Or this is how they were kind of promoting it as like this new thrill, something that they had never done before. Well, and that comes back to the other attractions that it opened with. So when they opened, they were the first three e-ticket attractions between this, the monorail, which is crazy to think that it was listed as an e-ticket attraction, and then the submarines as well. So, but the Matterhorn, you'd have to think it was the main thing that people wanted to do at that time. and. There's a lot of discussion about that when this opened, it was for 90% of the people who wrote on it, the most thrilling thing that they had ever done. And it's really cool to think about how this ride works because it does primarily work with gravity. You know, it is gravity that is pulling you down once it brings you up. And even with like the braking system, I had never thought about this, but you have to go through that water at the end, because that is what slows it down. Like it has, it helps it all like cool off and slow it down as you are ending. So the brakes are literally water, which is like, it sounds 
super old school, but it's also really cool. Yeah, they do use air brakes in other areas as well. But yeah, after they get you up the first 80 foot climb up the mountain, it is purely gravity the rest of the way. And this also, we're not going to talk too much about the revisions that have taken place over the years. We're going to try to focus after we get through kind of how it got built. We'll focus on the current version of the ride and what it looks like. But I do think it's interesting. It was first launched and it was one ride car, Mm -hmm. two by two. And so it could fit eight, correct? At the very beginning, or was it six? I think it only fit four at the beginning. I want to say it went from like four to eight to six. So essentially what you need to know is that it started with just one car. Then they added it into a chain of cars. Mm -hmm. It's very similar now to what you see at like Space Mountain in Magic Kingdom. And there was a lot of discussion. A, it made it a lot easier on the brakes because there was more weight. It helped the ride vehicles be more sturdy over time because they weren't going quite as fast with the two. There was also, I don't know if this is factual, but I read about this, is that there were some discussions about the obesity of Americans was going up by so much that these ride vehicles needed the weight more evenly dispersed across more so they had to make them single seats and they needed to spread it out over more cars you know i would believe it (laughs) i could see that being something that maybe they took into consideration i don't know maybe obesity is not the right word just the stature i mean just how bigger people are were than they were even in the 70s yeah just part of it part of it so I don't know. I think that's really interesting on, on how that took place. But then once they launched this, um, the Yeti was not really the main marketing focus at the very beginning. But something that they did do as a marketing gimmick for a number of years was had these climbers that would climb up the side of the Matterhorn. How many times a day would you imagine would be appropriate for them to do this? If I had to guess, I mean, I would think like once or twice would suffice. <laughs> They did it eight times a day. And I wrote down that they started this in 1959 and they went until 1989. They got rid of it for a while and then they came back in 2012. So at the beginning, before they added the Yeti, which is the coolest part that we're going to get to here in a minute. But before they added any of that, it was really just about the Matterhorn experience that Walt fell in love with. Um, like that area, you know, Switzerland and Italy and, you know, they had music and the whole thing, just like they would in any other um, opening. And one of the biggest things was, hey, look, we have these mountain climbers. They're legit. They're going to come climb our mountain every day. And I think that is so funny. And this is also where the legend of the basketball goal comes in. So if you've watched the Imagineering story, that was probably the most touching moment of all time when Bob Gurr actually shot a basketball and signed his name up there within the Matterhorn. Yeah. That was amazing that they were able to capture that on film. But that was what happened is that they had these climbers. They were scheduled for eight times a day. But if weather did not permit them to do their normal climb, they would go up there and hang out in the top of the Matterhorn, shoot hoops and hang out. That would be awesome. And it's interesting to think about the top of the Matterhorn because we talked about the roller coaster itself is 80 feet tall, but the actual mountain is 147 feet tall. So there is that bit of space between where the roller coaster actually sits and where the top 
actually is. So that's kind of where this basketball goal sits. It's above the roller coaster in this dead area. Another thing that I thought was really interesting about the history of this is that when it first opened, they actually made this part of Tomorrowland on the maps, which I surely everybody, even from that moment moment knew that that was not right, that 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 didn't exactly fit. And so they left it there from 59 until 71, and then they made it part of Fantasyland. But it still has the two different tracks that you access on either side with the different loading zones. The tracks are a little bit different. One of them is a little bit longer than the other one. Do you know which one's longer? Is it Fantasyland? Oh, I don't remember. One is supposed to be like longer and slower and the other is shorter and faster. So it just kind of depends on what mood you're in. I'll be doing both in case you're wondering, Brendan. Hmm. This is a good ride to do single rider on. It is. Mm -hmm. Because it's a six seater and there are not very many families of six. And they don't split up groups of two into two different cars. You can get a lot of single riders in there. Yeah. So what else did you find interesting? So the last kind of thing that I found interesting is, I mean, the Yeti. We had to talk about the Yeti. So like we said, when we start to think about the story of this ride, the story that is being told today didn't actually come about until they started doing all of these renovations. And we're not going to get into like the dates of all the renovations because they did quite a few. But once they started adding the Getty, I think that's where things start to get interesting because a big part of the story is that you are going up this mountain and you encounter this Yeti. And my favorite part is that the Imagineers named the Yeti. And I love a good animatronic name. So, Brendan, what is the name of our Yeti? Howard. I thought it was Harold. Harold, Howard. His name is Harold. Okay, so this is where we had some issues. So, in our research, there was one video that we watched where they called him Howard. And in all the other ones, they called him Harold. So, that leads us to believe that his name has got to be Harold. His name is Harold. You did, can confirm it. Did I just say Howard? You did. <laughs> well, I kept telling myself beforehand, it's Howard. It's Howard. It's Howard. It's Howard. It's, no, it's Harold. It's Harold. Yeah. See, that's where <laughs> I got myself. Harold. So Harold the Yeti. And when they decided to start making this Yeti in proper Disney fashion, they are always looking to repurpose things or to save some money or to remake things. And the... There are three different Yetis that you can see in this ride. So one per track. And then there's one that you can see um, no matter which track you're on. And the original Yetis were actually made from repurposed gorillas from Jungle Cruise. And I think that's amazing. So they made this Yeti from a gorilla and then they named him Harold and they stuck him in there um, where he lived until 2000. Well, I was going to say 2012, but now I'm second guessing myself until they made the newer Heralds, Herald 2.0. And so now there's three Heralds. There's one that you can see on both tracks when they split. He's right in the middle of there. And then you see one on each side of the track for a second time. So each ride, no matter what track you're on, you see Herald twice. Yes. But you could also count it as a third time because you see him behind some ice. As you're climbing. 
Yeah. So that was one of the enhancements that they made to kind of add that story along that as you're climbing up that mountain, you can already start to see glimpses of the Yeti. Um, And then it kind of continues the story because one of the scenes that they added, which I think is super cool, is that you can actually see Harold's collection of things. So Harold is a collector. And over the years, he had collected one of the um, sky buckets. Is that what they're called? Sky buckets. Um, that they had taken down. He had collected one of the old Matterhorn bobsleds from back in the day. And then there is also a box there. And I think this is one of the nicest tributes. We see this a lot with Imagineers where they always try to leave little Easter eggs or little clues to people who meant a lot to this ride um, or people who were impactful. And on one of the boxes or on the box that's in this scene, it says Wells expedition as a nice tribute to Frank Wells to Frank Wells. And so if you know anything about Frank Wells, he loved the outdoors. He loved exploring and hiking and doing all the things. So it's very appropriate that he would be in the Matterhorn. Um, Cause that was during the refurbishment in the eighties. Right. Or was it in the nineties right after he passed? I think it was right after he passed. That that was added in there. So again, a nice tribute, something to look for, for sure, when you're riding that ride, because I'm sure it's one of those things that's easy to miss. Um, But I think it's interesting that the story didn't evolve until they started adding the Yeti, that it kind of added an extra sense of adventure. Um, And it kind of leads us to think about like these other mountains that we love so much, Space Mountain, um, Big Thunder Mountain, Expedition Everest. And you can kind of start to see, you know, that thrill factor, not only just from the ride, but from the extra things that the Imagineers put in there as well. I think that's kind of my biggest takeaway is how monumental the Matterhorn was and how it laid the groundwork for a lot of these mountains that we like so much. You can see so many similarities between this and Space Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain. And I personally think it's kind of a stretch to compare it too much to Everest. I know other people feel very differently about it. The story is somewhat the same. I do want to point out is that Harold is technically an an abominable snowman. He's not a Yeti. Oh, I guess that is a good thing to mention. What's the real difference between a Yeti and an abominable snowman? Is there a difference? One is found in the Himalayas and one is found <laughs> in Switzerland. Fair enough. Oh my gosh. I almost forgot the coolest fact about Harold. And this is one that you already knew when I told you about this. I thought I was going to surprise you. But the coolest thing about Harold. So once they took away the original Harold's and replaced him with Harold 2.0, they took one of the old ones and they actually put it in Mission Breakout. So you can see one of the original Yetis. I guess they didn't put it there. The collector found it and abducted him because why wouldn't you? I believe it was in there when it was still Tower of Terror as well. And I think they left it afterwards for Mission Breakout. Is that not correct? You don't think you're telling me that there was a Yeti in the Tower of Terror just in the rafters chilling up there just for funsies. I want to say there was, but we're not DCA people, so I can't say for sure. But I almost think that's true. But you seem to not think that's true. 
Because that's hilarious. Why? Why would there just be a random Yeti sitting in the rafters of the Tower of Terror? Why wouldn't there be? We're going to need some backup on this. I'm not going to sleep tonight until I know if that Yeti was there or not. I have to believe that the collector found this Yeti and brought him specifically to Mission Breakout. If Teven collected him, why would he not be in a containment area? You know what because I'm saying? He's a Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does that have to do with it? He's not like the dog where you could easily capture a dog and just stick him in a little holding cell. It's a Yeti, Brendan. Okay. First of all, don't insult Cosmo the space dog. That's where I draw the line here. I know. I love, he can Co- talk. I love Cosmo the space dog. He can talk for goodness sake. Can, can, Harold talk? Yeah. No, he's, he, he just snarls. There's a big difference. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just a nice little Easter egg that's there. I think it's the coolest part of all of this. You think it's cooler than the Matterhorn actually being built? Is just that Harold ended up across the street <laughs> in DCA? <laughs> yeah. Brendan, okay. I do. I think that's awesome. All right. <laughs> well, we're all over the place now. But I do think what we were talking about before this was just the impact that it made for all of these different. It's the first thrill ride that was put into the Disney parks. And so if this had failed, Disney has always kind of erred on the side of doing more family friendly rides. But if this had failed early on, they could have abandoned thrill rides from the very beginning. And that would have been a real shame for a lot of these attractions that we got further down the road. Yeah, I mean, Walt was very vocal about that. He was not big on thrill rides because he wanted that something for everyone in the family where everyone can be together. So, you know, I think it's interesting. I think it took something that he was so interested in, like the Matterhorn, for him to change that perspective, you know, because if he weren't so excited about the Matterhorn, um, if he didn't love it so much, if he didn't see it with his own eyes, which happened with a lot of his travels, I don't know if we would have gotten it. He would have pushed for a little sledding hill. Who knows? So I think that's really fun, too. It's just that, you know, it was something that he was originally against, you know, thrill rides, but it led to a lot more and it ended up, I would say, being quite the success. And that reminds me of another story that I read about Walt in the Matterhorn is that obviously he was very excited because he's the one who greenlit it from Europe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But when it actually got built, he was so excited for it that when they put the, the cars on the track, he could not wait any longer. And so before the attraction even had brakes, he insisted that he was going to ride it. So they stacked up hay bales at the very end to serve as his brakes at the very end. And so he was one of the first people to ride it. And he just smashed into the hay bales at the very end of it. Oh, my gosh. That's a cool story. But that, I mean, that's so interesting that, I don't know. I really I, I'm trying to put myself that. in that situation. Yeah, just being so excited about your creation that, like, I'll be the test dummy. <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? That's funny. I thought that was great. That is great. But just from a storytelling standpoint, does anything else stand out to you? I think there's the nice little Easter eggs. 
I do think this is a very simple story, mm-hmm. but it's almost a simple story by design. It yeah. doesn't have to be overly elaborate. Uh, a lot of times we talk about how did we get here? Like there's a lot of discussion about that. It's a little bit of a stretch that you're in Switzerland, but I do think it fits with the architecture, especially of new fantasy land now that it has a lot. What do they call that? Like tournament style, like the, the architecture that they're using over there. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think it kind of fits into that era a little bit. Uh, it's maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think it's too out of place. No, I definitely think that it definitely fits more in with fantasy land. I think the only reason it was probably ever in Tomorrowland is maybe just because that's when it was released with those other attractions. So maybe they were just trying to do a big Tomorrowland overhaul. But, you know, I think even just talking about, like you said, with like the architecture and just like visually kind of how the Matterhorn plays into everything you know, this is something that I think they started using forest perspective on from very early on, which was probably something that was very new where, you know, as you looked up the mountain, they wanted it to look even taller than it is, even though it was already the tallest structure in Disneyland. And, you know, they wanted it to be realistic looking. So they modeled it after the real thing. You know, they sent back pictures and they didn't just want it to be a pile of dirt, you know, or a big mound. They wanted it to look like the Matterhorn. And they've continued to try to do that over the years. You know, one of the biggest renovations that they did was that they repainted it to depict how the snow actually looks on the actual Matterhorn mountain, that there are some sides, depending on where the sun hits it, some sides have more snow than others. I don't remember which ones exactly. the north side has the most snow. Okay. So, but they took those pictures and again, that was a big part of their overhaul. So I think, you know, they've tried to maintain the physical appearance of it, even past just like normal upkeep. You know, they're trying to keep in with fantasy lands and, you know, continuing that story so that it's more believable, I guess, if that's the word, which I think is really cool. Yeah. So anything else you want to add for the Matterhorn? No. So typically, I mean, this is where we would give our scores and we can't, we can't get scores for this one, which is so sad. I have to tell you, I mean, this is going to be the first ride that I want to do when we go back to Disneyland because this was at the top of our list because this is the only place in the world where you can ride the Matterhorn. It's not like a lot of these other rides that we talk about where they have, you know, the same ones or different variations in other parks. There's only one Matterhorn and it's only in Disneyland. So going into our Disneyland trip, I knew that and I was very excited and I'm still very excited for the day that we get to go back and I'm going to do both tracks. Do you want that? You didn't try it last time. The coconut Matterhorn macaroon from Jolly Holiday next time. You're going to try it? I'll give it a shot if I'm being honest, and this is probably a very unpopular opinion, but I'm not a big macaroon person of all the sweets to eat. I love coconut. So coconut's not the issue. I just I'd rather just have like a cookie. We are also very uncultured. And apparently this is news to me just very recently. I don't know if other people knew this. There's a difference between macrons 
and macaroons. And I don't know even which one is which, to be honest. It it turned my life upside down. I didn't know this at all. And now I do, and I don't know how to handle this information. So I don't know. I'm saying that. So if I just use the wrong term mm-hmm. for the Matterhorn coconut treat, forgive me. I would I would eat it just as like a celebratory, like, yeah, we're going to go do it. But not as a like, I really want to eat this kind of thing. And there's so many things to eat in Disneyland that it's almost hard to use a snack for something that you don't really want to eat. Well, we didn't even go to Jolly Holiday last time either, that's, which that was a foul on our part. We couldn't true. get away from Plaza Inn was our issue. How, how can you? Come on. And the, and the corn dog cart for you. True. So now we're going on a tangent, but it's funny that we can't actually give it a result. So I'd love or a Neverland rating. So I'd love to hear what everyone else thinks about it. Besides the janky throw yourself around part, I visit the chiropractor regularly. So I'm not worried about that. I'll figure it out when I get back home. I'm just excited. And I think... I'm excited to see the story and the changes because now that I've kind of watched some of those old um, POV videos, I'm excited just to see like what it is now. What's the hype? Yeah. So good deal. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. What you can look for for next week from us, we're going to have our friends Dan and Leslie on from Addicted to the Mouse podcast. And we were actually guests on their podcast last week. So you can go check that out. We talked all about us moving down to Florida and what's that been like, what that has been like for us because they are making the move in their future as well. So we're super excited for them. We're going to talk all about that in our interview with them on our show. You can also hear us over there. Hopefully that's clear. Yes. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and we will talk to you real soon. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon. <laughs>